And howdy. Howdy. Uh, It is a good point of the semester. How many of you guys feel good about this past week? Feel good for you? Fewer exams? All right. How do you feel good about this next week? More exams? Oh, okay. There's the participation. Good. All right, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. So if you have a Bible, this will be easy, especially if this is your first time here. It's all the way to the front of a Bible. If you have an app on your phone, beautiful technology gives you uh, the app right at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read a couple verses for us and then jump in as we continue our series in decision making. Genesis 1, starting verse 1, says this. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the day, the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let there... Let it separate waters from waters, and God made the expanse and separated waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. It was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Jump all the way down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of, of the earth you shall... Uh, every, uh, okay. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, Father, that you have created a world in wisdom and purpose. And in the middle of this world that you've created, you've created a place for us to live, to breathe, to to have the ability to make decisions, to have the ability to to rule and, and to shape our lives. And Lord, you've created all of it good with a good intent. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think about the decisions that we are making in our lives, that we might look at your word as you have created it to be. And God, we would be people, we would be men and women who align ourselves behind your will. And God, utilize the freedoms you have given us to both bring greater glory to you and greater joy to ourselves. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Make a Decision. And the truth is we are all making decisions constantly. There's decisions that all of us have in front of us, whether it's roommates or job opportunities or where we're going, the classes we're going to take this next semester. All of us are making decisions constantly. And the question that we're trying to get at in this series is this, how do I make wise decisions? How do I make the best decisions possible given the life that God has given to me? 
And as part of our journey through this, we have created um, a, a study to go through with you, our Version app. And in that, that study with the Version app, you can literally go along um, in the journey and, and have moments with yourself, with God, um, to process through this. If you go to the, the website, the Version website, you can download this, this free resource to help you as you are making decisions to align your will with God's will. And in this series, there's really five steps that we wanted to give us to lay over every decision that we're making. And it's a simple paradigm I'm giving us called ask it, that we would lay this decision-making paradigm over the decision that we're making. And so decisions are kind of like a ball, right? And you have this decision to make. And, and if you go through the process, the first real step is this, that we would align our will behind God's will. That we would make sure that this decision is in line with what God would desire us to do. And the second part that we looked at last week is this, that we would seek wisdom. That we wouldn't operate on our own. That we would say, I don't know enough to make every decision in front of me. And this week we are looking at the part three of this, is to know our freedom. We have freedom within the will of God to actually make meaningful decisions. And your decisions are, are simply this. We create a life based on the sum total of individual decisions. The life you create, the life you live, is based on the sum total of all the decisions that you have made in your life. Your roommates, the fact that you came to A&M or Blend, the fact that you are sitting next to the person that you are, are all based on a sum total of decisions that you have made. And your decisions ultimately shape your destination. And so we've asked two questions over the past two sermon series. And the first one is this, am I willing to realign my will? Am I willing to realign my will with God's will? And secondly, am I, am I really willing to admit that I don't know enough to make the best, best decision? Do I, am I willing to seek wisdom in my decision-making process? And this, this week, we are answering this simple question. Do I know the boundary of my decision? Do I know the freedom that God has given me to make my decision? And there's three misses I want to give you in thinking about God's will and the decision that's in front of you. And there's a couple different ways that we miss the mark in making a decision. The first mistake is this, that we believe that God's will is a tightrope that's overly narrow. And so what we do is, is, is we, we think that the decision in front of us, there is one right tightrope of life. And I need to put my feet on the right steps, and if I miss a step, I will fall to my death, I will marry the wrong person, I'll go to UT, you know, like all of these terrible things will transpire if, if I make a misstep. And so some of us literally you view the will of God is a terrifying tightrope. And for those of you who are in this camp, um, you, are, you are plagued with paralysis by analysis, meaning you're no fun to go to a restaurant with. Okay, <laughs> she's like, my friend, keep preaching, you know, so, so, so you go to a restaurant and you're all sitting there and there's the menu of all those different options. You go to Chewy's or whatever and you're looking at all of these options and, and you're sitting there paralyzed with all of the opportunities, right? And you're just like, do I want fajitas? Do I want, do I want nachos? Do I want a burrito? Do I, I, I don't know, I don't know. And, and your friends around you are getting more and more impatient with your paralysis and you're like, I just, I just don't know, I just don't know. Um, why don't all of you... Pick an item. You order your item. With my one fork, I will try every one of your items and see which one that I like. And you're like, okay, will you just make a decision, 
right? And that's some of you. You, like, you. you fear making a decision because you feel like if one mistake will ruin your destiny. The other miss is this, is that, that we view God's will as kind of like a magic eight ball, meaning it's unknowable. And so you have this eight ball. You got it in junior high, and it has made every decision for you, right? And you see it. You shake it up, and then, and then some uh, of one of 20 answers will come your way, right? On the, the left side are all the negative ones. It is certain. It's decidedly so. Without a doubt, yes, definitely. On the other ones are ones you don't like. Yes, reply is hazy. Try again. Don't ask me later. You know, this, this was, you know, the junior high girls all sitting in the room like, does he like me? Outlook hazy, ah, you know, and you're shaking it again, you know, and it's, it's, it's that decision. Like, I don't feel like God's will is knowable. It's an unknowable entity. Some of you are in that camp when it comes to making your decision. Um, the third one is this, that, that you believe you have full autonomy to make your decision. You are Elsa. And what I mean by that is this, you know, the song and I will let it go as soon as I give you the lyrics, right? So this, there's no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, right? Like you're totally free to make whatever decision you want. So in making whatever decision is in front of you, you believe you have total autonomy. And there may be things that people say to you, but you don't really care because you want to do what you want to do. You believe you can operate in your decisions with total autonomy. And you would even use Bible verses to prove this. You would say, well, look at Jesus. I mean, wasn't Jesus totally autonomous in his decisions? Didn't he just do what he wanted? Wasn't he just a rebel that moved against the grain? Well, there's two verses I would give you to counteract that Elsa mentality that some of us have. And the first one is this from John 4.34. Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so although Jesus did resist the powers that were at play, he was under the authority of the Father in the decisions he was making. John 5.30 says it this way, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, as I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus set himself under the authority of God in making his decisions. And this is what's brilliant. God doesn't want you to go from one extreme to the other. To be paralyzed, paralyzed by the analysis, paralyzed, whatever. <laughs> to have paralysis by analysis, and he doesn't want you on the other extreme to, to feel like you have total autonomy, and he does want you to know his will. He does want you to walk in wisdom, to walk in his will as you make decisions, and the question is, how do then we do that? And that's why I love going back to Genesis. Because in Genesis, we get the foundations of life. And and Genesis doesn't answer every question you have about creation. But Genesis does answer this question. What did God create us for and to do? How are we supposed to view life under God? And it begins in Genesis 1 by simply saying this. God's in control of everything. He made everything under his control. This is in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There was never a moment when God was not in control of every piece of creation. And I love the beginning of, of this narrative when it talks about how God created everything. You see, in ancient Near Eastern culture, they had other views of creation. Many of them were based on war and conflict. That one God beat another God and then created the earth from that destruction. But that's not how God created this earth. 
He created out of love. There was nothing, and God spoke everything into existence. It's not the aftermath of a battle. It's the start of something beautiful. Tim Keller says it this way. God made the world not as a warrior digs a trench, but as an artist makes a masterpiece. It's beautiful. So he formed the world, and he said, let there be light. Let there be uh, earth. Let there be forms in this earth. And he makes it beautifully, and he makes it with under wisdom. And there's one word that I want to give you that demonstrates or communicates God's control, and it's this, that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he sits on the throne. He is sovereign over every decision. That means we can't make a decision outside of his sovereign control. Let me give you tons of verses that communicate this all throughout the Bible. The first one is this, that Ephesians 1.11, that he works all things after the counsel of his will. God is working everything in the world after the counsel of what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish. He's over everything, but he's over the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says, he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says it this way, in him all things hold together. Literally, everything is in connection because of the God, the loving God who created this universe. But not just the universe, over the earth. Psalm 135.6 says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heavens and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. God does what he wants. He is in total control over everything in the earth, but not only the earth, over the nations. So he goes from the, everything to the universe, to the earth, even to the people in places. Job 12.23 says it this way, he makes the nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. God is in control. He has sovereign control over everything. Nothing is outside of his control. And there's three implications I want to give you from this reality of God's sovereign control. The first is this, God's never surprised. There's nothing that we can do where God can go, oh, I didn't see that coming. There's no decision you face where God's going like, man, I have no idea. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to go to grad school? Or are you going to go live with your mom? I don't know. Both may be under his sovereign guidance and will. I don't know. We don't know, but God knows. God knows the decision you should make. Secondly, God doesn't need to be informed. Isaiah says that who has been God's counselor? Who has given God advice? And sometimes we think we need to, right? Like, God, I know you're not aware of the challenges I'm facing. Let me just inform you. And God's like, no, no, no. I've controlled everything, even your circumstances. I know. And number three, nothing is beyond God's control. And I'm going to give you a simple paradigm, a, a simple graphic in which to think about how God works his will in the world. The largest circle is this thing, it, that God has a sovereign will, and no decision can be made outside of God's sovereign will. He created the earth and everything in it. He's created all of your limits. You can't give yourself gills if you wanted to. I'm sorry, none of you are Aquaman. You cannot make yourself be born in another place. You can't make yourself of a different race. Those are all limits that God has set in the world. There's nothing that is beyond his sovereign control. And within his sovereign control, there are other wills that he has. There's a permissive will. We're going to talk about more in a second. There's his moral will, what he desires us to do. And there are freedoms of decision within the moral will of God. So we can operate in this. God is in control of everything. But secondly, 
God sets the boundary. God sets the boundaries of our decision-making. Genesis 1.27 says it this way. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing. He sets a boundary for them to rule. And I love this. He gives them creative abilities to create. The phrase right there is is the word image of God. And that word is huge in implications. We are created male and female in the image of God. The Hebrew word salam, salem, which means this. That you are given life, personality, the ability to know truth, to have wisdom, to love, to have holiness and justice. All of those are being a part of being made in the image of God. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says it this way, and I think it's so helpful. He says, God has made us as creatures with a will. We exercise choices and make real decisions regarding the events of our lives. Although our will is not absolutely free in the way that God is, God has nonetheless given us relative freedom within our spheres of activity in the universe he created. So God created man. He he created him in his image with the ability to create. And then he says, I've given you now a dominion in which to rule. He says, I've given you every plant yielding seed over the face of the earth and every tree and seed with its fruit. You shall have them as food and every beast of the field. He has given man dominion over his creation to make decisions. See, man is created to create and man is given space to create. He is created to create. He's given the image of God, and he's given a space to create. Alan P. Ross, one theologian, says this, that God gave us dominion as a representative of God. We're given dominion over a location in which to rule and exercise God's authority under him to make decisions. And Genesis 1 describes how he lays that out. And I love Genesis 2 because it it enhances what was going on there. It gives us more background into what God's vision was in this creation, into this freedom. It gives a little further description, Genesis 2 verse 15. It says this, Now the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat from every tree in the garden, but the trees of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He says, look, I've given you a boundary in which to operate and make decisions. I've given you opportunities within this garden to keep and cultivate it. And, it's, and then something interesting happens after he gives him this. He realizes that it's not good for man to be alone. And he says, now what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and over the heavens and brought them to the man. And whatever he called them, that's what they would be called. And whatever, whatever the man called each living creature, that was the name given to it. And so God creates this man. He sets him in this garden. He says, look, I'm giving you creativity and the ability to create. And I'm going to give you a job. Your job is to name the animals. That's step one. You're going to rule this whole garden. There's lots of things you're going to need to do to keep and cultivate this garden, this work that you're going to have before the fall. There is work. And then he gives them each animal. He says, I want you to name them. And can you imagine the first decisions that Adam needed to make? What am I going to name this animal? 
Is it a panda or a puma or a platypus? God, what is the tightrope of your will? Is it a puma? And, and God's like standing there going like, name it. Because when I like mess up the languages, they're all going to call it something different anyway. Like just name it, make a decision, right? And he's, he's, he's given all of this food. He says, hey, look, look, all the trees are yours to eat. Eat, eat. There's one tree that is, that is outside of my moral will. We'll talk about that in a moment. But everything within my moral will, you can eat, 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 enjoy every one of this. And, and Adam's not like freaking out going like, okay, well, what about Monday breakfast? Pick it, dude. Like, you've, you've got options. Like, should I do the pears? I don't know. They're good. What, what about oranges? I don't know. Like, make decisions. God gives him a region, and in that region, he is given the opportunity to make decisions. That is true freedom. See, true freedom is understanding the limits, the boundaries under which God has given us to make good decisions. Tim Keller writes it this way in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says this, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. Those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. So the commandments of God in the Bible are, not, are a means of liberation because through them, God calls us to be what he built us to be. See, the boundaries that God gives Adam in this moment aren't to keep him oppressed, but to give him freedom, give him life. He goes on to say this, cars work when they follow the owner's manual and honor the design of the car. If you fail to change the oil, some of you need to listen to this one, okay? Um, If you fail to change the oil, I've got the light in my car. No one will find you or take you to jail when your car simply breaks down because you violate its nature. You suffer the natural consequences. In the same way, human life works properly only when it's conducted in line with the owner's manual, the commandments of God. If you disobey the commands, not only do you grieve and dishonor God, you're actually working against your own nature as God designed it. See, God set boundaries for you to operate in. And those boundaries are good. Those limits are good. There's all sorts of studies with kids when they send them out to a playground. If they send them out to a playground in which there's no boundary, the kids don't know what to do. They don't even play with the toys. They're like confused because there's no, there's no boundary, right? And if they just put a fence around the playground, all of a sudden the kids know how to operate and play together and everything changes. Boundaries are meant for our good. So God sets the boundaries of our decisions. And God gives us creativity and freedom to make decisions. We are in God's sovereign will. And we are designed to make decisions within his moral will. Adam had decisions to make. What am I going to name the animals? What am I going to... What am I going to eat today? What am I going to do to cultivate this garden? Those are all decisions he can have within God's moral boundaries. And that's good. Those are right. And thirdly, we have freedom within the limits. But God's not going to make us choose within his moral bounds. See, there is the opportunity in the permissive will to move outside of God's moral bounds. God will permit it. He will allow Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And does that mean they're going to know more than God? No. It means God's giving them a space to say, are you going to make decisions under my best or are you going to choose your own way? 
Are you going to live under a good authority? Are you going to blow me off? See, we have freedom within limits, but we can operate outside of those limits. Genesis 3 describes it. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? See the lie? Did God say you can't eat any of this fruit? Then Eve responds, No, 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 no. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, nor shall you even touch it lest you die. Now, did God say don't touch it? No, God didn't say don't touch it. He said just don't eat of it. Climb the tree, enjoy it, but, but don't, don't take that. Don't live in rebellion against me. I give you one rule. He's like, you can climb the tree, you can play in the tree. It's fine, just don't eat it. There's one restriction, one thing that's going outside of the boundary. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know the rest of the story. She takes it and eats it. You see, God allows us to make decisions outside of his permissive will. See, the will of God largely can be thought about. The decisions that we have to make are like balls. Now, this catwalk was here. I did not plan this, but I thought it'd be helpful. Your decisions within the moral will of God are like this container of balls. You can make decisions that are outside of God's will. There are opportunities we have to rebel against God and choose our own way, choose our own decisions. We actually can make those decisions. But what this means is this. This is fascinating. We can make decisions within the will of God that both honor him and that we are free to make. This will change your life. This will change your life if you actually know and receive this as as how God is enabling you to make decisions. You can make decisions outside of the will of God, but listen, there are freedoms within the limits to choose to do what you would want to do, and there's a wisdom in making those decisions. And that was really the last two weeks. Am I aligning myself behind God's will? Is my meat and my drink to do the will of the Father, the one who sent me? Am I desiring to do that? And then secondly, am am I walking through wisdom? Am I seeking wisdom in making my decisions? Then if I'm selecting an option that is within the moral guidelines of God, if I've sought wisdom, if I've thought through it well, if I've prayed, if I'm seeking to do God's will, I can have confidence in this decision that I'm actually operating within the will of God. Peter Inns, one theologian, writes it this way in his book, The Moody Handbook of Theology. He says, all acts, including sinful acts, conform to the eternal plan of God. But he is not the author of all of those sinful acts. Instead, he is calling us to make wise decisions under him. And this is what God does. He did this in the life of Abraham. So in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham to start a new nation. He says, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And and Abraham's like, well, where is it? He's like, in Canaan, go walk that way. And so Abraham starts a journey to Canaan. And so he would ask the next question I think all of us would ask, which is, should I be in Jerusalem? Should I be in Galilee? Where should I go? And God's like, just that way, go, go that way. 
And he can make decisions to then leave God's plan. He then goes down to Egypt, and God says, not what I'm talking about. He causes some skirmishes there and sends them back into the promised land. This is where you need to land. This is what Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world, baptizing people from all nations, and I'm going to be with you. Teach them to be my disciples from everywhere. And the natural next question would always be, well, who do I start with? Should I go to the new world? They didn't even know it existed yet. Should I go to China? Where should I go? And Jesus is like, you take the next right step. You follow me, and there is a, within these boundaries of the world and making disciples, you can make decisions. You have freedom to make decisions within those moral bounds. And Paul describes this very well when he terms the two issues that are major decision makers in your life. The first one is this in giving. Paul says this when returning to money and, and what you do generously. He says this, Now this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He says this, look, you, you can hoard your cash or you can give it. And I'm going to tell you, living generously is a better way to live. But I'm, but I'm not going to make rules on you. He's going to say this, But each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, when, you, when it comes to your money, there's not a rule of what you have to give. But here's what Paul is going to say. But you purpose in your heart under God. Are you aligning with him? Are you walking in his will? Are you seeking wisdom? Or are you just holding on to your cash? And God says, look, Paul says, God's not going to make you give your money. But he says this, you, you should be a cheerful one who gives. And the next question, you're probably not worried about that one. This next one is actually the one you are worried about. Because there's two questions that every college student has on their mind, especially at this point in your life. Where am I going to work, and who am I going to marry? That's it. Those are like the two big questions. If, every, if you knew those two, I think most of you would be like, I'm fine. I'm just going to like hit it in neutral the rest of my life. If I know where I'm going to work, and I'm going to marry, I'm done, right? And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, look, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. So if you're married, which many of you aren't, but if you're married, you're stuck, right? Like that under God, that's in his moral will. You are bound to that person as long as he lives. But if he dies, okay, don't get any ideas. Okay, like if he, by natural causes, were to die, you are free. she is free. In Greek, that means free. That means free, like able to make decisions. To be married to whom she wishes. Like who she wants to. Wait a minute. Only in the Lord. He says, okay, okay, okay. Okay, Paul, we don't want that verse. Here's the verse we want, right? If my husband or spouse dies, or if I'm looking, right? God will send a man on a camel, right? He will be carrying a latte. When he gets off the camel and comes over to me and says, hey, would you like a latte? Then I will know the will of God. That will be the decision for me. And then I will know what's next. But, but Paul doesn't say that. He says, there's a boundary of freedom in my moral will that you would marry in the Lord. That you would, you would look at God's boundaries, moral boundaries. And, th- and those, are med- those are given for you to thrive, to enjoy your marriage. He says, I want you to marry a believer, someone that loves the Lord. But listen. There's a lot of fish in the sea, okay? Like, there's a lot of good people out there. And as you select an option, I want you to walk in wisdom. 
I want you to be aligning your life behind my will. And then I want you to be seeking wisdom along that decision. And then when it's your opportunity to decide to commit, you can then commit in confidence. You can actually make this decision to go, I've, I've walked through the steps, and as best as I can see, I think God has given me the ability to make the best decision I can. As we walk through the steps, we then make the best decision we can within the limits that we have. And for many of you, this part terrifies you because you're like, I want to know if this is God's will. And God says, have you walked in wisdom? Are you aligned in my life? Yes, yes. Then take your ball and go. Should you take that job? Well, have you walked through the process of seeking God's wisdom and God's will? Yes, then you can take the job. Should I date this person? Well, have you walked in wisdom in making the decision, walking through the processes that God has laid out in his scripture and his people? Have you walked through those steps of a wise decision? The answer is yes, then you can make the decision. And I tell you what, so many of us are terrified to commit because of FOMO. You are fearful of missing out. And so you won't commit to any person, you won't commit to any organization, you won't commit to any job, you won't really commit to anything because something else better might come along and you're keeping your options open. And let me just tell you this, if you live always not making good decisions and always trying to keep your options open, you'll never make the God-honoring decisions that he wants you to make. And you'll never live the life of adventure he's created you to live. So you take it and you make the decision and and, and some of you are still going, well, Kevin, I don't know. I still don't know. I want to know. It seems best, maybe as far as you ever get in making the decision. Kevin, is that from the Bible? As a matter of fact, it is. Acts 13.2 says it this way. There's a moment when the disciples are worshiping together, the apostles are worshiping together, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them to select Barnabas and Saul for the work of getting the missions, uh, getting the missions movement out there. He, he speaks specifically to them in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. But here's what's crazy. Two chapters later, the apostles don't speak with that level, level of clarity as they're making decisions through Paul and Barnabas. It says this in verse 15, 22. Then it seemed good... The Greek word dokia, to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch and with Paul and Barnabas. It, it seemed good. Wait a minute, didn't one God just like telling them what to do every single second? Apparently not. There were moments of clarity. And there are sometimes God speaks through visions and dreams and direct words, but more often than not, it's as the wisdom of people get together, they make decisions, and it seems Good. It seems wise. Acts 15.25, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord as we talked about this, as we processed this, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Paul and Barnabas. So we know Paul and Barnabas should have gone, but as we process this information, it seemed good to us to send a couple more people. Well, don't we need more clarity? Well, all they had was, it seems good to take this next step. Acts 15.28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay no greater burden on you than, than these requirements. And they give them some, some of the guidelines of which to, to operate in. 
And so the best that they have to go on is it seems good. It seems good. Well, Kevin, does do more than just that mo- do, do other moments describe decisions in that way? Well, Luke, he's the author of both the, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And he, as he is pinning the Gospel of Luke, it is, a, it is a, a, a collection of information as a historian, basically, to give to a man named Theophilus. And Luke, as he's writing the gospel, the best he has to go on is not God told me to. I received a revelation. He doesn't operate that way. God sometimes speaks it that way to some people. But as he's writing the gospel of Luke, he says this, It seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely, meaning the life and death and burial of Jesus, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And then we'll make it a book of the Bible, and then people will come to faith, and then it will be amazing because Kevin's going to use it in 2019. Like, like, all of these things come together, and the best that these men who were following God could say is, as that we've aligned ourselves behind God's will, as we've sought the wisdom of people around us, as that decision has come to us, we feel like it's in the moral will of God. I'm going to write a gospel. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to live a life of faith under God. And I may not have rock solid, crystal clear clarity on every next step. But if I seek God's wisdom and he's given this opportunity and it seems right within the will of God as I've considered it with other people, I can have confidence of faithfulness to step forward. God has given you that freedom. And listen, that's beautiful because that's where adventure comes. That is the step of faith. See, the step of faith is not blind leaps into oblivion. It's do you trust God and what he has revealed? Do you trust the people that God has advised and put around you? Are you in community? And if so, then that step of faith makes life exciting. That's where the adventure starts. And that's where God wants you to be, right on the cutting edge of faith. It's not always certain. But you can have confidence that the God who controls everything is guiding your life. There is no decision you can make outside of his plan. There's no decision that's going to leave you stranded in the middle of nowhere if you are walking under his authority and his guidance. And God loves you. and He's got a great plan for you. So will you trust him? Make the best decision you can with what's right in front of you. Walk in wisdom as he's revealed it. The first step along this journey is this that she would come to Jesus Christ. The clearest thing that he has said is, my son is the way to me. And if you want to receive my wisdom, you want to receive my guidance, you want to live in my will, you come through my son. And so for those of you this morning that, that all these things seem interesting and good, but you've never come to the son, I would first put Jesus in front of you. He lived the perfect life we could not. He died the death we deserve to die. And he will guide you in wisdom to live life that is best under him. And pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that you are guiding our lives. And Lord, I know, honestly, most of us, we would like more clarity. We would want to know that every step along our journey is 
certain. But Lord, in your wisdom, you haven't caused life to to operate in that way. And Lord, I thank you for that. You've given us wisdom under your guidance. You've given us people around us. And you've given us freedom to create a future. So Lord, I pray that as each one of us considers the decisions ahead of us, that we would walk through the process. We would believe that your way is best. We would align ourselves behind you. That we would seek the wisdoms that you put around us, the wisdom of men and women and the word of God who's gone before us. And God, as we're making a decision, I pray that we would walk in freedom, not paralyzed in fear, but we would step out in faith, trusting in your guiding hand. So let me pray. Amen.